Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Hey, really glad you're with us for the Tuesday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. Hope you enjoyed our Memorial Day special yesterday. And thank you to Andy McCarthy for filling in for Jim on Thursday and Friday. Jim is now back from the NRA annual meeting in Houston. We'll hear more about that in uh, just a little bit. Uh, first of all, Jim, welcome home. Uh, it's, I'm sure nice to be back, even though the temperatures are probably pretty similar. Yeah, but I, I, Texas heat is baking. Um, and the other kind of less. So apparently Houston has downtown Houston has underground tunnels that people use like Morlocks or moles or something like that. Uh, and apparently only lunatics like me go out in the noonday sun and uh, walk from, you know, from the hotel to the convention center and things like that. So, uh, yeah. And also downtown Houston on the weekends. Very quiet. Very quiet there. Apparently, you know, it's the fourth largest city in the country, but nobody's in the downtown, at least not on, you know, weekend mornings. Just wait till the Texans are playing again. They'll be ripping it up and everybody will be excited. There you go. Oh, yeah. wait. No, no, they won't because they're not very good. But uh, <laughs> anyway, sorry about that, Texan fans, but you know it's true, at least for the moment. But uh, you've had more recent success than the Bears. Uh, all right. On to our uh, good martini now. And uh, Jim, always looking ahead to the uh, midterm elections. And whenever there's a decent forecast, uh, we like to pay attention to this. But this one's kind of got an interesting twist. This is the Cook Political Report. Uh, I'd say nonpartisan at best. Uh, it certainly doesn't lean to the right. Uh, and right now, uh, it's looking like the Cook Political Report expects a very good Republican year in the midterm elections. A couple of different excerpts here. Quote, every metric we use to analyze the political environment, the president's approval rating, the mood of the electorate, the enthusiasm gap, all point to huge gains for the GOP this fall. But those metrics are bumping up against an increasingly sordid House with few marginal seats and few incumbents sitting in the wrong district. As such, the most likely scenario for this fall is a GOP gain in the 15 to 25 seat range. And so that's quite a bit less than what we saw in 94 or uh, 2010. Uh, it's enough to get the majority. But basically what they're saying is, is that both parties, when they control uh, the redistricting process, which we just went through, they tend to uh, protect seats and, uh, and and they don't like a lot of competitive seats. And that means that uh, it's harder to have a big swing in the majority. But about a week after Cook issued that report, Henry Olson at the Washington Post argued the situation for Democrats was worse than Cook was saying it was. Specifically, Cook assumed a shift toward the GOP of about seven points, while Olson suggested the actual shift based on the outcome in the Virginia and New Jersey elections was closer to 12 and a half. Using that figure, Olson predicted a more significant red tsunami this fall. He says, here's where the bad news starts for Democrats. They hold 42 House seats that fall below that mark, and a few more will be added to that list when New Hampshire and Florida draw their maps. Political rates 13 of those 42 seats as safe for the Democrats. If that doesn't hold, the GOP could gain as many as 40 seats. So who's right? Well, we find out in November, I guess. But last Thursday, Cook Political Report updated its forecast for the midterms, shifting 10 more races in favor of the GOP. Quote, the midterm outlook for House Democrats is so bleak that even members in districts Biden won by 10 to 15 points are in danger of losing their seats, according to election experts. 
The Cook Political Report uh, is uh, now revising its fall forecast to a net Republican gain of 20 to 35 seats as a result of those uh, 10 additional races being shifted. So, Jim, obviously, you got to get people out. You got to actually have results. But uh, it's about as good of an environment as Republicans could want, especially given the state of the economy, which is when it's bad, uh, everything else pales in comparison in the minds of voters. Yeah, and I think when we think about not just this year's election, but 2024, 2026, beyond that, if you're a Republican and you don't win this year, I don't want to say you should never run for office again. <laughs> Sometimes you can have a unique, you know, bad set of circumstances in your district or state or something like that. But basically, this is about as good an environment as a Republican candidate could ask for. Maybe Roe is the Roe decision will stir up uh, Democratic enthusiasm between now and election day maybe the push for gun control is going to stir up democratic view you can see a little bit on the margins we still have some primaries that have to be resolved uh candidate quality matters you know sometimes a bad you know democrats will get lucky and get a republican candidate who says something really stupid right before early voting starts or something like that but by and large you know you look at the state of the country inflation is out of control really high gas prices everybody felt it this past Memorial Day weekend. It's only going to get higher through July 4th and probably throughout the rest of the summer. Maybe you get a little bit of relief uh, as summer turns into fall, but I don't think it's going to be a point where anybody is like, oh, wow, you know, gas feels cheap now, right? Uh, food prices, all these are problems that have gone on for a, a long sustained period. So um, by and large, I, I think that is a point where like, you know, you're like, oh, okay, well, you know, usually in a good midterm year, you're picking stuff where you, you're you're picking up seats where the the Democrat won, you know, four, five, six points. You know, uh, generally it's got to be within striking distance, double digits. You know, if you're looking at 55, 45 districts, you really need things to break your way. Well, now we're in the kind of cycle where things are breaking the way Republicans need. Does this mean every Democrat who won by ten points is is vulnerable? No, but you got to look at it and say, look, they're not going to need help from the issue environment. They're not going to get any help from the president. It's not like they can put out the vice president to, to, to stir up, you know, electoral votes. Um, it's about as bad an environment as for Democrats as possible. So, yeah, the idea that it was only going to be 20 or 25, you know, 20 seats because of redistricting always seemed a little bit. It, it would suggest that basically redistricting had made not quite the, you know, like the Democrats were going to lose their majority, but it was going to create a hard ceiling for Republicans, no matter how bad the political environment got. And that explanation never quite made sense or added up. And now I think you're seeing some serious revisions to that assessment. Uh, the ceiling for Republicans is likely significantly higher than 20 votes in this election cycle. Yeah, I, the way things are going, that's certainly the case. And we hate that so many people are, are suffering that uh or, you know, leading to these forecasts, but it's directly a result, at least in large part, uh, to administration policy here. And uh, I now live in one of those districts, Jim. Uh, I'm technically, for the next few months, represented by a Republican, Rob Whitman, but they redrew the line, so he's going to be in a different district, and I'm in the seventh now. Abigail Spanberger is, I guess, technically the incumbent, but she doesn't live in the district, so there's a big um, battle of pretty conservative people in the Republican primary coming up next month. And obviously one of those will emerge to to face her. But uh, that's a district that she did not win, certainly, by very much uh, the last couple cycles. So uh, I'm hoping that uh, if that 10 to 15 point margin is correct, that we've got a Republican congressperson uh, in my district soon. But uh, we'll find out, I guess. You're not in quite the same situation. <laughs> no, no. Jerry Connolly would need, you know, we, we would need to have... I don't even bother nominating Jesus. I'm trying to think of who would, would, would win well in this district. Um, 
you know, maybe a Tom Davis type, you know, maybe a perfect, you know, Main Street Republican, not going to scare the suburbanites type, coupled with Jerry Connolly uh, getting in some sort of terrible scandal or something like that. He did have a close race back in, tw- I want to say 2010 or something. So I mean, they're just the right circumstances, but I, I don't think that uh, this is too blue a district to really be. It's not as bad as the old one where I was in with um, uh, Moran. Moran. Moran, the uh, <laughs> member of Congress before, but uh, uh, who is absolutely bulletproof no matter how many scandals he got himself caught in. So Connolly's, you know, in the best case circumstance, Republicans can come within a couple of points. And usually it's worth making a guy have to sweat for it. But uh, yeah, not feeling optimistic. He doesn't live far from you. Any any uh, any potential scandal there? Did he not shovel his walk in, an, in, t- in a timely fashion? Did he, uh, you know, blow leaves into his neighbor's yard? Anything Anything you got on him? I'd love to say to say yes, and let me tell you, he never returned those, you know, uh, pruning shears or something like that. But alas, the circumstance—the one anecdote I've heard about him was him being really nice about giving his tickets to the White House Easter egg roll to somebody who asked for him. So, worst of all, Connolly might be a nice guy. <laughs> all right, we might not put a lot of oxygen into that one. Uh, but, but... <laughs> That's, that's kind of hard to spin uh, in a negative way. Uh, How dare you? Yeah, <laughs> who are you choosing for those Easter egg roll tickets? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, good on you, Congressman Connolly, for helping out your neighbors with that. Anyway, uh, but the Three Martini Lunch today is brought to you by NetChoice. As Americans, innovation has always been what makes us different. America's tech industry outpaces the world. We have the most innovative companies that power our economy and way of life. And the reason for all that? Free market innovation. But some in Washington want to put big government in charge of America's top innovators. And you know what that accomplishes. Nothing good. Attacking our own in the name of competition while our true competitors like Europe and China close the gap. NetChoice believes congressional conservatives must stand for American innovation, not big government, by rejecting progressive antitrust proposals. They encourage you to tell your senator to oppose Senator Amy Klobuchar's Senate Resolution 2992. Learn more about this fight and send a letter to your representatives at netchoice.org slash 2992. This message was brought to you by NetChoice. All right, Jim, on to our bad martini now. And this uh, relates to the president's um, emerging uh, preferences when it comes to gun legislation. There's allegedly a bipartisan group of lawmakers trying to put something together here. And what's in that legislation, who knows? Uh, Biden, for his part, uh, was speaking to reporters outside the White House. Apologies for the Marine One engines uh, churning in the background here. Uh, But he has now added nine millimeter handguns uh, to the list of weapons he would like to see banned. And they showed me a a, a, a x-ray. He said a 22 caliber bullet will lodge in the lung. And we can probably get it out. We may be able to get it and save the life. A nine millimeter bullet blows the lung out of the body. So the idea of these high-caliber weapons is of there is simply no rational basis for it in terms of about self-protection, hunting. I mean, I just, I remember, the Constitution, the Second Amendment, was never absolute. Enough with the hunting already. That has nothing to do with the drafting of the of the Second Amendment. So stop embarrassing yourself with that. But uh, Jim, if a nine millimeter handgun is high caliber, well, then there's pretty much uh, not too many weapons that are off the table here in Biden's mind. Uh, you're just back from the NRA annual meeting, uh, and you've also written about uh, what might 
be doable from a legislative perspective in today's morning jolt. So uh, what do you make of Biden's comments and where do you think this might actually be going? Yeah, so this is the first NRA convention they've had in about three years. The last two years it was canceled because of the COVID-19 pandemic. And the turnout was a little less than it was actually, you know, probably out of three quarters of what they usually have. Um, I think they, I don't know if somber is necessarily the, the right term I would use, but definitely was less of a celebratory mood. And look, I think the the entire country is shocked and horrified and appalled by what happened in Uvalde. And they want to figure out some way to make sure this doesn't happen again. Now, a whole bunch of folks on the left are like, no, no, well, we just, we'll just ban guns. Let's take guns. Let's, you know, some people, oh, let's just raise the age to 21 or something like that. Obviously, many members of the NRA, many gun owners, many Second Amendment advocates don't like that idea. They don't like these blanket moves, but they do want to say, like, okay, this is a, the shooter was someone who should not have had that gun in their hands. And so the question is, all right, so how do we get someone like that who hasn't yet committed a crime into the national instant check system? Now, in today's morning jolt, I kind of laid out based on the descriptions of his actions by his peers, classmates, uh, former friends, folks like that, he committed several felonies. At some point when he was shooting people with a BB gun or threatening to rape women on social media, any one of those actions could have ended up with somebody pressing charges. By the way, I think it's a lot to ask of a teenager to go to the cops and say, someone sent me a message threatening to rape me. Will you please treat this as a you know criminal threat? Um, but I do think that this was a case in which you know, this person, one, committed several crimes and could have and should have been prosecuted for that. And two, you probably saw the New York Post story about him and the bag of cats and stuff like that, you know, torturing animals. This was a guy who was a natural candidate for involuntary commitment for a mental health facility. If either one of those two things had happened, he would not have been allowed to purchase a gun. And so to me, like, you know, that's the answer right there. It's like, how do we get people? You know, apparently what he had a nickname school shooter from the people, at, uh, the people at school called him that. So how do we get to the point where everybody's like, oh, people, oh, we nicknamed him a school shooter. Everybody knew he was going to do that someday to the point where they go to the police and we get the police to do something, actually prosecute him and or possibly mentally commit him if that's a, a more accurate uh, or, you know, description of his problems. And then put him in a situation where he cannot legally purchase a gun. Um, Biden riffing is stuff that he kind of sort of half remembers. Look, it's not a new habit. It's not an you know not necessarily a screaming sign that he's gone senile. Because I'm sure a lot of listeners remember him saying about you know ah oh, you know for home defense you know I think the best thing is to do is take a shotgun and just blast it at the door. You know like his his really uh, people pointed out that if you followed that in most states you'd be charged with a crime. Um, Biden half sort of kind of remembers stuff and he goes in front of the cameras and goes in front of the microphones and he just just blathers it and he just kind of is like, well, you know, this is what we got to do. And you know, nine millimeters, they can blow the lung out the back of your body. Just, you know, it doesn't do any good because gun owners, for obvious reasons, say, OK, you know, whatever, even if you say you only want to do this much, even if you say you only want to ban an AR-15, even if you say you only want one this tiny restriction here, your intention is to uh, de-arm the entire population. Your goal is to ban the private ownership of firearms. And no matter how much a gun control advocate insists, no, no, it's not really what I want. No, 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 nobody's, nobody's trying to take, your gun, take away your guns, you paranoid, you know, you paranoid nut job. And then you have, you know, gun seizures in places like Australia and these recent moves announced by Trudeau. So in a way, if you really wanted to get something done, Joe Biden needs to be really quiet about it. And probably for that matter, so does Kamala Harris. The more he talks in off the cuff and makes these kind of comments and talks about what a danger, you know, nine millimeters, I don't know if they're the most common uh, uh, type of gun and most common ammunition out there, but they're very common. 
very bad. And they're not what you'd be putting into an AR-15. They're not what you'd be putting in rifles and stuff like that. Nine millimeters are usually handguns. Um, and oh, by the way, you have to be 21 to purchase a handgun. So the idea, as usual, Biden doesn't really know what he's talking about, doesn't remember it, kind of has this grab bag of facts that he sort of remembers. He always does the hunting joke and stuff like that. And it never, he's just not helping in this. He, you know, even if you're pro-gun control, you should want Joe Biden to be quiet right now because he's not helping things and he makes people believe this is just, you know, they're saying they only want to do this one tiny step, but clearly they intend to seize our firearms and it makes the likelihood of actually getting any change in the laws much less likely to happen. So I, I, I suppose if you want nothing to change, uh, then you're fine with this. But I think most of us want to see something happen that so would happen in Uvalde doesn't happen again. So the question is, how do we get people who are threats to no longer be able to purchase a firearm if they don't have a criminal record. And I think, you know, as, as David French likes to emphasize, well-crafted red flag laws, which means the person petitioning has to present evidence. There has to be a review period, you know, process, has to be a way to appeal it. And it cannot be indefinitely, it has to be at some point, you know, it has to expire at a certain point and a subsequent demonstration that it needs to be in place in order to have these red flag laws. I'd like to see something along that line happen. I think it's more likely to happen at the state level than some sort of federal change. Um, but all in all, I think it's, uh, uh, you know, I, I don't think it's going to happen. And I think that uh, Biden makes it less likely almost every time he opens his mouth. Well, as we've said so many times, Biden basically is uh, a weather vane. And whichever way the bulk of his party is yelling is where he's going to try to find a place to stand. And the bulk of his party is drifting further and further left on this issue, as they are in just about every other issue. And so that's where he thinks he needs to be. Anyway, uh, one of the other things we're going to talk about, in addition to whether or not we see his administration cleaning up that comment, is uh, is uh, Biden's own uh, frustrations with his own staff in our crazy martini. But in the meantime, we're going to talk about something way better than Biden and way better than efforts at gun control, and that's meat, grilled meat, and especially for Father's Day. Here's a little bit of wisdom from Omaha Steaks, which are fantastic. Dads want steak. When you give dad perfectly aged and very tender steaks, you're not just giving him the best meal of his life, but the chance to grill them up and make a memory with you. And right now, the Dad's Want Steaks package is available for $99. This is a limited time package and includes 16 mouthwatering entrees that dad's guaranteed to love, like smoky, tender, bacon-wrapped filet mignons, gourmet jumbo franks, and their air-chilled boneless chicken breasts. And for a sweet finish, delicious caramel apple tartlets. Plus, you'll get eight free Omaha Steaks burgers. Look, there's a reason why Omaha Steaks has been the leader of gourmet steaks and food for over a century. No one, and I do mean no one, comes close to matching the flavor, tenderness, and value of Omaha Steaks. Every steak and every entree are flash frozen, vacuum sealed, and ready for dad to love whenever he's hungry. And it's all backed by their unconditional 100% money back guarantee. So visit omahasteaks.com and type martini into the search bar and order the Dad's Want Steaks package today. Again, you'll get eight of their new, bigger Omaha Steaks burgers absolutely free. And because it's Omaha Steaks, everything again is backed by their 100% money-back guarantee. That's omahasteaks.com. Type martini in the search bar and order the Dad's Want Steaks package today. All right, Jim, on to the crazy martini and Joe Biden is frustrated. Not with you and me. Well, he probably is if he if he was listening, but uh, not with Republicans. No, he's upset about what's happening uh, with his own coverage and even within his own staff. NBC News with the story amid a rolling series of calamities. Biden's feeling lately is that he just can't catch a break. 
Quote, Biden is frustrated. If it's not one thing, it's another, said a person close to the president. Yeah, it kind of comes with the job. An assumption baked into Biden's candidacy was that he would preside over a smoothly running administration by dint of his decades of experience in public office. Yet there are signs of managerial breakdowns that have angered both him and his party. For example, Biden is annoyed that he wasn't alerted sooner about the baby formula shortage and that he got his first briefing in the past month, even though the crisis had been long in the making. But beyond policy, Biden is unhappy about a pattern that has developed inside the West Wing. He makes a clear and succinct statement only to have aides rush in to explain what he actually meant. The so-called cleanup campaign, he has told advisors, undermines him and smothers the authenticity that fueled his rise. Worse, it feeds a Republican talking point that he's not fully in command. And they give the example of him saying that Vladimir Putin uh, cannot remain in power in the White House. Walking that one back, I remember Taiwan and... Well, there's been a lot of them, especially after any uh, considerable interaction with the press. So, uh, Jim, what do you make of Biden thinking that he's making clear and succinct statements and darn it, his staff is undermining his authenticity? Uh-oh. <laughs> Grandpa, Grandpa noticed we took away his car keys. So, on the one hand, I, it was interesting. I saw someone who made the argument that this is very bad. Uh, that Joe Biden was elected president and the staff around him was not. And that this was, a, I think the person blamed um, the West Wing television show and Veep television show for the idea that this had kind of influenced the thinking of people who go to work in Washington, which is possible. And that they kind of people who end up becoming staffers in the White House. The idea that the person who's in charge, the actual elected official is an idiot and all the real work is done by the staff. And I, I'm sure there are plenty of staffers who'd say, yes, yes, Jim, that's exactly how it is. Um, I don't know. The, the interesting thing is that in the West Wing, you know, President Bartlett was not seen as an idiot. And on uh, Veep, I don't think Selena Meyer is any bright. I don't think she's any dumber than all the idiots around her. Uh, the whole idea is that they're all, you know, bumbling and you know, constantly making mistakes and things like that. The um, I, I, It's interesting to see, oh, Biden has noticed he's being managed. Biden has noticed that he comes out and says something, and then his staff rushes out to insist that he didn't mean what he said. Um, I, I, it, it, a couple of my colleagues were chuckling about the description of Biden saying things that were clear and succinct. But I actually do what by you know, the ones that were that are fresh in our minds are indeed clear and succinct. They're just bad, right? <laughs> or, or or they are. Uh, much more complicated than Biden makes it seem. You know, for God's sake, he cannot remain in power. Like that is clear and succinct. That that is yeah, that's calling for regime change in Ru in Russia, though. Like and that probably puts the U.S. in a more hostile status towards Russia than we want to be. Would we? You know, if Vladimir Putin had a heart attack tomorrow, would any of us feel bad? No. But uh, you know, it's one of those things. Where us saying we demand regime change in Russia instantly put it makes it very tough for us to cooperate on anything and with russia as if it's possible right now and john Kerry reminds us how important it is to work with our adversaries on climate change and things like that so i, I think biden you know I, I can understand why biden is irritated by this i also think it is necessary by his staff because he's always been shoot from the hip gaff machine etc cetera, etc cetera. but now he's president of the united states and you know little statements like well if it's a minor incursion we'll see how that goes you know like Biden speaking off the cuff, as I alluded to earlier, creates problems for this White House. Um, I, I, I look, there is a reason you probably shouldn't be running for president in your late 70s. 
Um, I think we've all seen it in Biden. You know, the, the safe way to describe it, as John Ellis put it, is you say he's lost a little speed off his fastball. You're allowed to use these euphemisms just to point out that he's getting older. I think he's less. Uh, I don't think he necessarily. My colleague Phil Klein once put it very well. He said Biden still speaks as if he's senator. Biden still speaks as if he's just one of many voices. But when you're president of the United States, your voice is supposed to carry more things. So if you say we're going to defend Taiwan, well, I mean, there's no treaty obligation there. Then that's actually you know, a, a very significant statement. And you can understand why the White House would come and say, well, actually, no, it's not the case. You and I actually thought it was pretty right on this, but it is extremely frustrating to see somebody jumping out and saying, um, don't listen to that. Grandpa doesn't know what he's talking about. He hasn't taken his pills today. We're going to set him up with a Matlock rerun and tapioca. and That'll have an easy afternoon or something like that. Um, look, you should not have a president who is not, perhaps can't remember what his administration's policy is and or freelances by just kind of, you know, saying the first thing that pops into his mind without thinking through all the policy ramifications of stuff like that. So it is a rare circumstance. I feel sympathy for Biden, but I think the answer is you really shouldn't be in the position you're in, Mr. President. Not that I'm thinking we're in that much better shape with, you know, the penitential president of the United States, Kamala Harris. Yeah, that's that's a terrifying prospect as well. <laughs> but there's been a few times, including Taiwan, and I think on Putin too, where he has subsequently tried to clean up his previous statement. So it's it's not like yeah, it's not like I wasn't it's just calling for any change in policy. Well, you kind of were. Like there, there's you know, the literal meaning of your word. You know, I guess the argument with Biden is we're not supposed to take him literally or seriously. <laughs> Right. <laughs> We're not supposed to take him, I guess. Oh, man. Well, Jim, uh, it's good to have you back. However, uh, tomorrow you will be gone. Uh, you are chaperoning a field trip on one of the hottest days of the year. Uh, and it's going to be outside. So I'm sure you're looking forward to that. Yeah. And it's always a lot. The thing I'll point out is this is, my, uh, this is for my younger son. Um, I always do the uh, our local elementary school asks all the parents to volunteer in some way. So my attitude is like ripping off the Band-Aid. Let's get it all done at once. I'm going to do one big day of uh, of chaperoning and dealing with kids barfing on the bus and all that kind of stuff. But also I get to walk around Gettysburg. And usually if we're lucky, we'll get a good uh, tour guide who is really good with my older son. But, uh, uh, you know, it's also probably the last time I'm going to end up doing it because I don't really need him in middle school and high school there. So that's where I'll be tomorrow. But I'll be chatting with everybody back here on Thursday. And just remember, everyone, the Jim Garrity rule number one of field trips. We will come back with the same number of students we left with. They just might not be the same students. Hey, as I see it, it's elementary school free agency. <laughs> you lose a few, you pick up a few, you end up with a better class for next time. <laughs> He's kidding. He's kidding, parents. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Good stuff. Jim, welcome back. Talk to you on Thursday. See you Thursday, Greg. Jim Garrity of National Review. I'm Greg Columbus of Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. Uh, do subscribe to the podcast if you don't already. Tell your friends about us as well. Thank you so much for the five-star ratings and the kind reviews. Please keep those coming. They help us out a great deal. Uh, get us on your home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch Podcast. Follow us on Twitter. He is at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great Tuesday and join us again on Wednesday tomorrow for the next Three Martini Lunch. Democrats are angry. 
Hunter Biden's laptop is still under scrutiny. Yes, it is. And the left is hoping hoping to legalize abortions nationwide. I'm Byron York from The Byron York Show. Download and subscribe to my daily podcast to hear all the news of the day. Subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts.